Hey, Drew Dixon back with you for another Bible Thump. We're in Mark chapter 15. Um, we're wrapping this thing up, man. Uh, guys, people, uh, folks, <laughs> we're wrapping this gospel up. We're almost done, and we're kind of at the climax of the story Mark's been painting about Jesus, about his life, death, resurrection, um, all of it. And, uh, and so this is a big deal, what we're going to read here. We're going to see Jesus finally go to the cross like he's been saying he's going to do. Jesus fulfilling what he said he came to do. And in this crucifixion, um, establishing his kingdom. That's the picture Mark's painting here, that Jesus is indeed king. And he's a different king. The important thing for us, I think, is that he's a different type of king than the world has ever known. Um, really different. Really, really different. I can't stress this enough, that enough, how different of a king Jesus is uh, from every other king in human history. So let's read a little bit, and then I'll talk about it just a little bit. So Mark 15, starting in verse 16. So Mark 15, starting in verse 16. The soldiers led him away to the place that is the governor's residence and called the whole company together. They dressed him in purple, in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. At this point, Jesus is so exhausted and beaten, he's had a sleepless night. He's been beaten uh, more than once now, um, too weak to carry his cross. So that's where we're at. They led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, they forced a man coming. Oh, sorry, I read that. Uh, verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription on the charge written against him was King of the Jews, the King of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who were pass, who passed by were yelling insults at him, t shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others and he cannot save himself? Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. So, um, yeah, what you see here couldn't be more clear. Mark is painting a picture for us, and that's one where we're constantly reminded um, that Jesus is King of the Jews. It's framed in the way Pilate uh, addressed him previous to the story. It's addressed in the way the soldiers dressed Jesus. Purple was a color of royalty. Um, and so they specifically dress Jesus in royalty, and then they make a crown of thorns intended to say, this guy claims to be king, but this is this is the type of, of crown he deserves, a crown of suffering. Like the, the thorns would pierce into Jesus' head. They would cause him pain. He, the only thing he deserves is to, to suffer and ultimately to die. Um, they're, they're mocking him in the most profound ways possible. They're casting lots for his clothing. 
Um, that's another slap in the face to Jesus. Um, we don't talk about this a lot because every picture you see of the crucifixion, Jesus is wearing like a linen cloth around his waist, but that was not that was not how this went down. Um, in the Roman world, in the ancient Roman world this time, you would have been crucified naked. Uh, so that's why they're casting lots for his clothing. They're doing everything possible to, to mock him. And um, the chief priests and the scribes have to love this, right? Because, one, they wanted Jesus out of the picture. They wanted him dead. And then, two, um, like, this has got to be a hit in their minds to Jesus' followers and to the following he was getting. And that was something they were concerned about as well. It's like their influence, their their impact, their religious leadership um, in, in, in Rome and in Israel. And so, um, yeah, this is a jarring, jarring, jarring scene. But the picture, the thing we're being reminded of again and again by Mark, by the way Mark frames a story, is that Jesus is king, but clearly not the type of king anyone would ever think of because there's no king who reigns and rules or establishes his kingdom through this kind of brutal, horrific, mocking and suffering and scorn by everyone around them. And remember, Jesus' followers aren't even around. Um, they've abandoned him, primarily. Peter, his closest friend, has denied him three times, right? Jesus is suffering, and he's suffering alone. Um, and so, what is the point of all this? What's Mark's point in sharing the story? Well, um, and he has these great little books called you know, The Bible for Everyone, and so he has one on Mark for Everyone, and here's what he says. I think it's great. He says, And Mark is saying, is saying through all this, just because he is king of the Jews, he must stay on the cross. That is his royal task and reign. That is what he has come to do. It is the climax of his kingdom vocation. The mocking and taunting, the shame and humiliation come together with the dark extremes of pain and torture, as the inner core of what it all meant, the reason why the cross gives faith and hope to Mark's little community and to all Christians as we meditate on these events. This, Mark is saying, is what happens when David's Lord becomes David's son. This is what it looks like when the son's vocation, given to him by the Father, is acted out to the full. This is how the kingdom of God comes at last. We are perhaps meant to hear, with the ears of faith, the same voice that spoke at the baptism and transfiguration of Jesus, saying with sorrow and pride the same words, This is my beloved Son. I'm delighted with Him. Um, so, Jesus is fulfilling the hope of Israel, but also He's displaying to us what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to invade the kingdom of earth, for God's reign and rule to take hold in this world. Um, Jesus is being mocked by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Romans and stuff because everybody had heard of his wonderful miracles. They'd heard he'd raise the dead. They'd heard he'd cast out demons. They'd heard he'd healed the sick. They heard he made people who were lame walk again and the blind to see. Like, there were stories about the miraculous, amazing things Jesus had done. And so, um, hey, get yourself off the cross, right? Like, if, if you've been doing these amazing, wonderful miracles, like, then save yourself. Like, prove that you're the Messiah. And yet Jesus chose, cho chooses, uh, chose <laughs> to prove that he was the Messiah in a completely different way. His confirmation that he is indeed king of the Jews, that he is indeed the one bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, was to suffer and die. And so it's a picture for us. This is what the kingdom of God looks like.
suffering, dying. Jesus would had previously told people to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. But ultimately, he's saying, this is what the kingdom is about. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about service. It's about going to the fullest extent we can to love and serve our neighbors, to give them life, even if it costs us. So consider for a moment, like just to get a sense of like what Jesus is accomplishing and the tone he's setting, consider for a moment like how different the world would be if that was everyone's perspective. Like if we were all committed to giving of ourselves to those in need? What if we were all committed to giving of ourselves, to sacrificing of ourselves so others could have better, fuller, more meaningful lives? Um, it's almost impossible to comprehend, isn't it? Because we are so used to living in a world that's not like that, right? A world where people are selfish, a world where people look out for themselves, a world where people are willing to harm and exploit, even if unintentionally. Like I think a lot of the harm we cause other people is not intentional. Um, I think about this all the time with my children. Like, I want to be a good dad. I want to have a really great investment in them. But, like, there's still, there's ways I'm harming my children that I don't even realize because of my own lack of patience or my own, like, uh, temper at times or my own selfishness, just wanting to spend my day my way, do my thing. Um, I could say the same thing with my relationship with my spouse or with countless friends. Um, like, I want to think that the net result of those relationships and investments is good. And, and, may, and maybe it is. Listen, I'm not, I, I think I'm a pretty decent father. But so I, there, there's so often little ways in which unintentionally my selfishness causes harm to people around me. And so does yours. And here is Jesus at the climax of, his, of the story of, his, of Mark's gospel, um, giving, right? Investing. Um, going the full distance to bless and secure a bright future for other people. By dying on the cross, Jesus was paying for our sin. By dying on the cross, Jesus was taking our punishment. By dying on the cross, Jesus was offering us new life. By dying on the cross, Jesus was making a new way for us. By dying on the cross, Jesus was demonstrating a better way of life for us. By dying on the cross, Jesus was offering us a new vocation that's free from slavery to self, free from being from the oppression of always trying to have the approval of others, free from so many things that keep us from living a full, good, meaningful life, freedom from thinking it's all about me and opening our eyes to the glory of living for him, for his kingdom, for the good of others. Finding joy, finally, and saying, hey, it, it doesn't have to be about me. God has placed me on this planet to glorify him and do good in the world for the benefit of other people, to point them to the hope the indelible, um, perfect, unfading hope of life with Jesus. Life eternal, life with Christ. Um, and invites us to join his kingdom vocation, to be a real ingredient, a real part of spreading um, this kingdom, building this kingdom by giving of ourselves for the good of the people around us. Jesus went the full distance, didn't he? Um, let's pray 
and ask God what it might look like for us to take a step this week to go further, right? To take another step further towards that kind of mentality. I'm not telling you to die uh, at all. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not telling you to, to purposely seek out suffering. What I'm telling you is that Jesus invites us to let go of the oppression of ourselves and to embrace the joy of a life of giving and sacrificing and loving others well. It's a better life than you think it is, I promise you. It's a better life than I think it is. So let's ask Jesus to help us take that step. Thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week.